This is Cardinal Francis George. I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a nonprofit ministry at the forefront of Catholic evangelization, using new media to spread the faith on every continent. Father Barron challenges us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The global benefactors of Word on Fire, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Well, friends, we've come once again to what's been called the Preacher's Nightmare, and that is Trinity Sunday. (laughs) What do you say about this central and confounding mystery of faith? Well, I, I never think it is the preacher's nightmare. I think Trinity Sunday is actually a wonderful time to reflect on some pretty deep things that are central to Christianity. I want to begin today with uh, the great Protestant theologian Karl Barth. Karl Barth said that the central claim of the faith is that God has spoken. God has spoken to us. And from this, we can derive the doctrine of the Trinity. It's a rather extraordinary claim, but when you think about it, there's something actually very simple about it. If God has spoken, that means there's a speaker who is God. It means there's a word spoken who is God. And finally, it means there's an interpreter of the word who is God. If God speaks, and that's our claim, there's a speaker a word spoken, and an interpreter. Okay, that's the principle. Let me try to get at it now in some more detail. You know, there are religions and mysticisms and philosophies that are based more on on intuitions, our own perceptions of of reality. Think of Buddhism and Hinduism under this uh, rubric. Think of much of New Age spirituality. It's based on, you know, our perceptions of uh, of God, of the ultimate truth of things. But Christianity, like Islam and Judaism here, isn't like that so much. Even though we have room for that kind of natural mysticism, Christianity, like the other two religions of the word, is based upon this conviction that the personal God has spoken to his people, that God has taken the initiative and revealed himself to us. Now, again, to get at this difference, think about this. The difference between identifying someone on the basis of our own you know, perceptions. Someone walks in the room, and before the person even speaks, you know, if you're perceptive, you can learn a lot about them. You can deduce a fair number of things about them. Uh, the best example of this would be Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes' brilliance was just that. He could take one look at someone. And just from their clothes, from their bearing, from certain bits of evidence on their person, he could tell you a great deal about them. People thought he was a kind of wizard because he could guess at their identity. He was actually just being very perceptive and making the right uh, deductions. But here's the thing. Sometimes even the great Sherlock Holmes was corrected when someone actually spoke. He would come out with his, his um, uh, deduction. And then he would say, well, no, actually, you're wrong about that, because actually my name isn't Peter, it's Paul. And the, the revelation of that person's own mind corrected 
uh, some of the deductions that Sherlock Holmes had made. Holmes's observations, I think, are a bit like natural religion or natural mysticism. These can indeed discover a number of truths about God, about ultimate reality, just by observing the world. And again, the Catholic Church has no quarrel with this. Someone like Thomas Aquinas practiced this quite a bit in offering arguments for God's existence and so on. But see, here's the thing. Revelation isn't philosophy. Revelation isn't nature mysticism. And Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel just don't sound like Socrates or Plato or a New Age mystic. Those latter examples, well, they engage in arguments, they assess evidence, they weigh various opinions, they share their intuitions. They seek out ultimate reality. They seek out the solution to the deepest questions. But they don't claim that ultimate reality has spoken to them. But that's just what the Hebrew prophets say. You don't find arguments in Isaiah or Jeremiah. You don't find intuitions. What you find is, thus saith the Lord. You don't find Abraham plotting out his own spiritual program. You find him addressed by a person who calls himself out of the blue. In the Bible, God speaks. A personal God reveals his heart to us. That's the difference. Now, this self-revelation takes place over a long period of time. God revealed himself to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, He spoke to Moses, to Joshua, to Samuel, Saul, David. He disclosed himself to Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, and Ezekiel. The letter to the Hebrews in the New Testament says that God spoke in various and fragmentary ways to our ancestors. So the word had been spoken, but not in its fullness. The logos had been shared, but not the fullness of it. But then we hear, in these latter days, he has spoken to us through his Son. Jesus, St. John tells us, is the Logos, the very word of the Father, made flesh. What was anticipated in the revelations of the Old Testament now is fully disclosed in him. It's as though all the partial revelations on display throughout the Old Testament are gathered into one great word that God speaks in Christ. In him, the Father said all that he could possibly say. He uttered himself. He told his heart. That's why Jesus can say to Philip, he who has seen me has seen the Father. He who has heard me has heard the Father. Okay, so now we see it. God has fully spoken God. This means there's a speaker who is God, and there's a word spoken who is also God. There's a father and a son. Not two gods, but two persons of the one God. Okay, so far so good. But 
we don't invoke the binity, we invoke the trinity. So we don't stop with the two, the speaker and the word. We also speak of a third. How come? Well, listen now to our mysterious gospel today that's taken from that endlessly fascinating farewell discourse of Jesus in the Gospel of John. Jesus says to his apostles, I have much more to tell you, but you cannot bear it now. But when it comes, the Spirit of truth, he will guide you into all truth. Okay, this is the Son who's been revealing the Father. This is the Logos who's been speaking the word of the Father. But now he says, a third will come. Because right now, you can't handle the fullness of the truth. You can't take in the fullness of what's been revealed. This third will guide you into all truth. Now, he's referred to in this speech of Jesus as the advocate, as the Holy Spirit. But I might suggest, following Karl Barth here, that we call him the interpreter. If we have a divine speaker, the Father, we have a divine word spoken, the Son, we need, finally, a divine interpreter. How come? Well, think for a second of a difficult text that you've wrestled with. Maybe in the course of your academic career, maybe a, a text that you're, you're studying now. Maybe it was a book of trigonometry. Maybe it's a puzzling Shakespearean play. Maybe it's a dense philosophical treatise, such as Kant's Critique of Pure Reason. Well, what do these things have in common is they're not luminously clear. These things don't simply interpret themselves. They're not like a, like a stop sign. You know, a stop sign is very straightforward. It just means what it says. Or a very simple mathematical formula, 2 plus 2 equals 4, doesn't require a lot of interpretation or unpacking. But these dense, complicated texts do. Now, who would normally interpret them for you? Well, think of your teachers and your instructors and your professors. They're doing the best they can to get at the meaning of the text in question. Your professor of trigonometry is going to interpret as best he can the word that was spoken by the author of the book. Your professor of English will interpret as best she can the word that was spoken by Shakespeare, etc. But, who would be the best interpreter? If you got this text, you're trying to understand it, and your teacher has helped you to some degree, the best interpreter undoubtedly would be the author himself. If you had access to the author, what did Shakespeare mean in Hamlet? Well, it would help enormously if Shakespeare showed up and told you, wouldn't it? Your teacher's got certain insights and you read books about it. But if Shakespeare himself showed up, that would be the best interpreter. What does the critique of pure reason mean? Immanuel Kant's great text. Well, you can read all kinds of books about it. Your professor can help you. But how wonderful 
if somehow Immanuel Kant came back from the dead and told you, he'd be the best interpreter. You know, one of my favorite scenes in uh, the old Woody Allen movie, Annie Hall, when he's he's waiting in line in a movie and there's a man who's kind of pontificating about the work of Marshall McLuhan. And he's doing it in a way that's just kind of overbearing, obnoxious, like he knows everything about Marshall McLuhan. At which point, a man steps out of the line and he says, I'd like you to know that I am Marshall McLuhan and you know nothing about my work. And then Woody Allen turns to the camera and says, don't you wish life were like that? Well, see, he's appealing to this principle that the best interpreter would be the author himself. Okay. So what does the word of God mean? The word that was spoken by the Father. How do we interpret that word? Well, theologians and saints and scholars can give you insights to be sure. But the best and finally sole reliable interpreter would be the author himself. It's God who best interprets the word of God to us. And this is why we speak of the Holy Spirit operating in this interpretive manner up and down the centuries of the church's life. I will send this third to you because you can't handle the fullness of truth now, but he will sit down. Now think of the Holy Spirit operating throughout the centuries of the church. He will sit down and slowly and patiently interpret for you the meaning of the word. That's why if God has spoken, and that's our claim, there must be a speaker, that's the Father. There must be a Son, there must be a word spoken, that's the Son. And there must be an interpreter of the word. And all three are divine. That's the Trinity, and that's why it's correlated to this central claim that God has spoken to us. And may God bless you. I hope you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George, and I pray that God will bless you and those you love. Father Robert Barron is combating the crisis of faith in our culture. Father Barron's expanded website can deepen your faith, give you new insights into scriptures, and help you become a better Christian. Go to wordonfire.org and tap into Father Barron's compelling videos, sermons, articles, and much more. Wordonfire.org. Connect with one of the Catholic Church's best messengers. Every day, everywhere.